Welcome to the Nogalade Podcast Deep Reality. I'm Tom Bubbly, and it's been an awfully long time since I've had one of these candid chats. However, this um, this podcast is very much motivated by the fact that I just had an online chat, text chat at least, with Gerald de Jong, and yeah, Gerald's one of those characters who I kind of miss chatting with. He and I used to have some really good chats, and I don't know what the long-term scenario is, but certainly through the relative quietening, let's just put it that way, of the Biota podcasts, I haven't had the opportunity to chat with Gerald as much as I had previously, so I just want to have a catch-up chat. And also, I've been on a, I don't know whether it's a personal note, or whether it's an oblate note, or whether it's an artificial life note, or I'm not even really sure what note it is, but um, I've been doing a lot of compression or decompression, and recompression, and decompression and recompression associated with the A-Life conference. And I think that has, um, not getting through that on some kind of fundamental intellectual level, has motivated me not actually putting out a podcast in, in recent months, because there was just a lot to decompress, and not all positive. In fact, I guess my sense from the A-Life conference, and particularly the legacy of getting back, and having met a lot of people, but not really you know, made too many headways. One headway that I did make um, was with an academic called Alison Wilson, and she's interested in the noble apes writing poetry. I'll talk a little bit more about that, but that was really the only substantial positive that came through the entire conference. And it was a relatively expensive conference to attend. I met a lot of people, but then again, the kind of zero sum of what I'm doing with noble ape and actually getting that message out there... Mm, not really there. A lot of it can be distilled, I think, through the experiences that I had at MSU following, and a large number of those, well, the positive ones at least, appeared in podcast form. And also, um, certainly the, the facility uh, is run by a very nice gentleman by the name of Eric Goodman, uh, and it was wonderful meeting Eric. And I also get a sense, because I've been through and uh, spent time in similar institutions historically, but they're always typically headed by someone like Eric in terms of being very buoyant and these kind of things. The legacy question of what is a life has been following me since the conference. And I don't know, some background narrative associated with working with Boater and these kind of things has allowed me in large part to actually frame my own relatively pluralist view of what a life is and I think that's going to be relatively difficult to change. In contrast, perhaps, to what the International Society for Artificial Life is and what this A-Life conference is. And leading into it, I wasn't really too heavily cognizant that there was that much distinction. I have narrated in previous realities that there was going to be a certain amount of distinction between academic A-Life and what I was doing with Bota, and even more so what I was doing with No Blape. But actually going on location, and as you may have heard through the Bota podcasts, kind of doing a Bota-style rap uh, for the first two and a half workshops uh, that I gave, it just seems like I was uh, like a cultural alien amongst these people. And there was an interesting experience, I think, on perhaps the first or the I don't know, the second true day of the conference, after the workshops, maybe the second true day, where I was pulled into a room, and I'd kind of seen Mark Bideau off in the distance. I'd seen these characters off in the distance with the view that I would be in a, a smaller group and talking to, you know, a, a few folk that I already knew, people like Tim Taylor, for example. But then I was kind of thrust in a room together with Tim Taylor, and I was basically sitting in front of a number of folk who I'd spoken to on the boat podcast. That's not actually true. Mark Bideau was really the only person who kind of seriously knew my previous work, as well as Tim Taylor. 
And um, actually, that's not true at all, because the UK contingent, uh, the folks who had put on, I guess, a Life 11, knew very well who I was. And in fact, their interaction and the fact that Bob Mottram will go down and give a talk there was a net positive that I really probably should acknowledge through this too. However, I think I'm going to give it to Frank, because I think there's a kind of legacy element of historically the distinction between Biota and the ALIFE conference, which was distilled by a post from Stephen Rook associated with whatever ALIFE conference occurred in 1998, and already the kind of broad sweeping distinctions that were existing at that point. And a large part of that was in solid criticism um, to the academic uh, Christopher Dami, who I spent about an hour with while I was at um, MSU following the ALIFE conference. For a start, he seemed to have a series of predeterminations that were very difficult to break. I think he had a clear indication that I was in some regard connected with Steve Graham's work, and in that way that what I was doing was anti-science. I've never really thought too heavily about Noble Eight being hard science, and I certainly think that if you're going to put a hard science legacy associated with artificial life, you're going to be pretty hard-pressed to actually find that. I don't see that artificial life couldn't become hard science with a certain addition, maybe. But I think in general terms, what artificial life does extraordinarily well is create a contrast to a lot of what has gone on previously and a notion that through you know, pluralist approaches, you will actually find interesting side effects and, let me say, solutions in a way that you wouldn't find through normal science. So rather than just kind of concatenating biological science into artificial life, you need to actually take it from a number of different perspectives. Now, I'm relatively whimsical if you meet me in real life. I wasn't going to change that in my meeting with the Dami. I have a physics background. I have been around various kind of stuffy physicist types for <laughs> probably far too long of my adult and intellectual life, and I'm not particularly interested in playing that game. So our meeting was quite curious. We probably got about, in an hour's time, probably equivalent to about 10 maybe five minutes worth of time that I'd spent with other academics at the Artificial Life Conference displaying Noble Eight. Professor Adami had a number of problems. He had a number of problems associated with the use of quantum mechanics as the biological modelling method. He had a number of problems with terms like agar being used uh, to represent the cognitive simulation. I mean, if I'd been in a different mind when I'd done the meeting, I would have noted that basically asserting that the dots on the screen were apes might have been an equivalent problem to the class of problems that he was presenting. But I think my greatest frustration was through his dismissiveness. He was missing really fundamental points in the simulation. And I'd had a really nice discussion, a large portion of which has been uh, put in a podcast form, I think probably in the Ape Reality feed, with his most senior junior academic, let's put it that way, um, who was just a really nice fellow um, by the name of uh, Aaron Hibbs. And I had a really nice conversation, which was recorded and put out in podcast form uh, with Dr. Hens. I don't know. I guess I didn't really have a strong sense of who Chris Adami was leading into it. And I thought, particularly because he appeared to be moving into different directions associated with, well, cognitive representations at least, that he may have more interest in my play. And honestly, I think 
A large portion of his dismissiveness was just that he thought that he had done what Noble Ape was doing previously without much success, and I think he missed a lot of the subtlety in what Noble Ape was doing, and he was so dismissive that there was very little he could do to actually rectify that, and I think he just decided that it wasn't worth putting in as much effort. Aside from AR and quantum mechanics and these kind of things, he was actually quite strongly dismissive associated with Apple's use of Noble Ape, and I had to really correct him on that. He said things like, you know, just because two engineers at Apple have used Noble Ape doesn't mean that Noble Ape got into Apple. And I had to explain to him, actually, a lot of the subtlety associated with the fact that it wasn't just two engineers. It was two engineers that championed it initially, and there was a whole series of additional engineers, plus they bundled Noble Ape with every Mac that they sold from, what, about 2003. I don't think he was really prepared for that. I don't think he was prepared for the fact that I wasn't willing to argue with him about science. I made the point, probably within the last 20 minutes, that... I thought Noble Ape was far more about philosophical satire than it was about science. And, you know, scientists did one thing and I did something else with Noble Ape. And if there was, as was discussed with Professor Hens earlier, if there was a possibility for the scientists to come and study Noble Ape, I was going to welcome them. I didn't have any problem with that. But what I was doing with Noble Ape was distinctly different than what they were doing with any particular part of their science. And that was actually a good thing. You know, we didn't need to have scientist envy if we were developing artificial life simulations. I've continued since I've left a one-sided conversation with uh, Chris Adami because he had some kind of legacy questions associated with how the language would convey meaning and, you know, how the meaning could be captured and these kind of things. But um, without any meaningful interest on his part, I think that correspondence will probably fall relatively flat. I mean, I, my view has always been to try and reconcile as much as possible, particularly with people that have a strong negative view of my work. And, I mean, truth be told, I've just spent, I don't know, 30-odd minutes chatting online with Gerald de Jong, and Gerald de Jong really fit in, into that mould that, you know, you can turn people from being relatively negative to moderately positive. But I don't know. I don't think uh, Chris Adami felt that I was worth that effort. I also have to say that um, the campus at um, MSU, I spent a week following at MSU meeting academics and doing a variety of things. I cannot imagine a more depressing campus. I mean, I saw it in the height of summer, but, um, you know, with two, three feet of snow, and apparently they haven't gotten that recently. Um, you can fill in the blanks there. But um, with two, three feet of snow and just the, the quality of students, and this isn't disparaging to any of the folk that I met there, but you just got the sense that this was just a football jock university. They had a huge area associated with football studies or whatever they call it, you know. I think they call it football. Anyway, it reminded me actually of the uh, University of Leicester. The University of Leicester had a, um, a group for football hooliganism. And I always thought that uh, it was quite amusing in contrast that the way the US views college sports and the way the UK views sports um, through the kind of hooliganism lens. But I digress. So, yeah, it was an interesting period to just kind of decompress. There was a beautiful second-hand bookstore um, in the centre of East Lansing, but most of it is just the strong football culture that's on all the, you know, signs and what have you. Uh, and I was woken through the kind of latter period of the conference by a group of high school cheerleaders that were running around doing kind of military-style marching and cheers, and I walked past a group of them, actually, when I was walking from the conference centre to the uh, engineering building. And they were having what appeared to me to be like some kind of fundamentalist religion discussion associated with kind of self-motivation. 
you know, it's a strange psychology. I mean, it really is something that I just have absolutely no part of. But the idea that there's some meaningful lay life research being done in this environment, and a large part of this I've got to point out is in, in contrast to, I guess, what's going on with Vida currently. I mean, MSU, they do have a, a couple of minor other projects, a couple of libraries that seem to be basically reconstructing things that already exist in open source, from my assessment at least. But um, the thing that struck me was that Avida, and I've had this problem previously, I mean, I've seen Avida demonstrated at the contact conference by Randall Hayes. Um, Randall, catching up with Randall, he he put me in contact with uh, Alison Wilson. We went out for late supper uh, together. So it was wonderful seeing Randall. But Randall had demonstrated Avida at the contact conference, and I got a sense from that that firstly it displays really badly for people that are like artificial life neutral or disinterested in artificial life. It looks like something from the 1990s, like prior to Nota late 1990s. <laughs> but um, yeah, it just displays really poorly. And having looked at the code base, it's it's not had a lot of additional kind of meaningful work. I mean, there are a couple of um, folks there currently who are adding agents and adding graphics and these kind of things to make it display slightly better. But yeah, the code base is very kind of circa mid-90s, mid to late 90s, and it doesn't have any of the kind of rich texture that I'd want in that kind of artificial life simulation that's very much kind of start, run, stop, get output, start, run, stop, get output. But even that, even within the code base of that, it's relatively straightforward. I mean, it's comparable in terms of lines of code to Noble 8, but in terms of general complexity, it's not very complexity-dense, which... I guess I found it a little bit disappointing, but I also got a sense because it's a constant teaching tool that that might be there as well. I don't think I was aiming to convert anyone in my trip there to Nobleape or perhaps show that Nobleape was something that was distinct. I just wanted to get some indication of whether a plurality of artificial life simulations were being used. And uh, I didn't really find that. So aside from East Lansing... Um, and I mean, look, I met a wide variety of academics aside from Chris Adami. It's just Chris Adami left a, perhaps a, I don't know, a sense that if folks like Chris Adami are representing artificial life, then perhaps, you know, what is this thing in contrast to what I've been doing with Noble A? So I think that's enough of the decompression associated with A-Life. It was really nice to be able to spend time with Rob Plotnik, and it was really nice to actually catch up with half a dozen folk there who knew my work and gave me a, a vast degree of respect for it. And in fact, that was the quite surreal part, to actually go to a conference for the first time and have all these concerns associated with the conference and then have a really positive underlying connection element, I guess, with a group of folk who knew at least enough about my work to have a conversation with me. And yeah, I'm looking forward to actually hearing Bob Bontram's experiences uh, when he gives his talk, uh, because certainly... There were a number of folk from that part of the world, from the UK, uh, who really did have a good understanding of what I was doing, which was wonderful. So, yeah, that part can't be sneezed at, but I don't know. It's left me kind of decompressing what artificial life is in contrast to Noble Ape. So let me talk a little bit about what's going on with Noble Ape currently, because there's been a lot going on recently. I've just put out a release of the combined GUI command line version, and it's just absolutely phenomenal. I mean, this is just the interface that Noble Ape should have had a decade ago. It offsets the <laughs> circa mid-90s graphics with an ability to get into the real richness. And because there are, I've used a threading model, um, which enables you to 
run multiple commands simultaneously and various other things, you get a very fast and rich access to what's going on in the simulation that's still relatively single-eight centric, but a lot of that can be worked out. The stuff I'm working through currently is really not necessarily debugging, but just putting a new interface on the episodic memory with the view that I'm actually catching a number of bugs through that, a number of minor bugs, but still bugs. And, yeah, I think we'll probably do another release relatively soon. I want to actually update the number of releases. I also wanted to get a Linux version uh, that was at least relatively representative. And I've had some problems associated with the menus through GTK. Uh, the implementation of GTK is very GTK, I don't know, prior to 2, and I don't even know what number of GTK is up to, but it's well past 2. So, yeah, I probably need to rewrite the GTK stuff, but I'm just holding off doing that because it'll be a bit of a pain and a lot of reading. And, um, yeah, I, I think the stuff that's, that Bob Montrum is doing, or has done so far and seems to be doing currently, is just absolutely phenomenal. What I've been doing is feeding Bob books recently, or sending him books, um, with a view that if I can put his mind in a particular place associated with reading, that yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out with the view that I'm in parallel doing my usual kind of maintenance, debugging, um, simplification of code, these kind of things, with the view that Bob will be in charge of some of the kind of creative development. And some background to this, in parallel to meeting Alison Wilson, uh, well, actually, soon after coming back, I had the opportunity of going through the Timothy Leary Library with Bruce Damon. There's a YouTube video which captures about half of that. I wish I'd been recording, actually, for the whole experience. And what I've done through, actually, freeze-framing sections of the video is find various books and things like that. And the only real meaningful book interest from that that I can get access to, there was an interesting Japanese unpublished life book in that, but I couldn't, it's available once on the Japanese version of eBay, I don't know, every three or four months. It's really a kind of collector's item book. But um, yeah, the, the, the Psychedelic uh, Journal series, which I've sent Bob a kind of edited version of, um, was probably the only point of interest, really. I don't think the Noble Apes are going to be going cyberpunk anytime soon, but you never know. Yeah, poetry, a little bit of psychedelia, um, and just, I guess, the potential of kind of dream spaces now. The dreaming has been very much in the heads of the apes, but it would be wonderful to see like a, I don't know, a visual kind of dream space reconstruction of what the apes are dreaming about and then the potential to move that into some kind of, I don't know, psychedelic or trance-like state as well with the view that there could be a wide variety of ways that the apes can access this aside from just sleep. And, um, yeah, I think that will change the simulation quite a bit because obviously there will be need to be a new per ape land generation with other apes interacting. It really takes what's currently existed in the narrative engine associated with just keeping a simulation of other apes and puts it into a spatial form, uh, which could be very interesting. And the addition of poetry too, I'm not sure how that's going to work, but um, Bob probably has slightly more insights on that, and I'm sure what will come out of that will be truly interesting. It may just be almost like, I've, I've thought of poetry uh, up until now, almost like a CRC, like an error checking on stories, just a means of you know, adding a certain degree of rigidity to the form to maintain the form fundamentally, so there aren't errors introduced, or potentially even through poetry, there are ways that errors can be introduced too. The reading that uh, Alison Wilson has provided, Bob, has taken a considerably more kind of, I don't know, uh, meta-evolutionary direction. And what will come out of that, I think, will be quite interesting in and of itself. But that's to be seen in the near future, I think. Uh, and in the meantime, for me, certainly lots of debugging work to be done, and lots of simplification. And I'm in my 
view with Noble Ape has always been about kind of reducing the code and creating better interfaces in order to reduce the code and all these kind of things. And certainly having Bob work on one section and me work on another has, has worked out quite well so far. I don't know whether there's a kind of legacy disappointment, but certainly the other folks who've gotten involved with the simulation in terms of making initial contact and joining the developer mailing list and doing all these kind of things, I don't know. I mean, there's, there's Mike, who's a lead background artist on The Simpsons, and he's phenomenal in terms of just having in my kind of correspondence list to send emails backwards and forwards. So like some of the emails particularly associated with bringing artists into the simulation and, I don't know, creating a rich visual interface in contrast to what's there currently comparable, basically, to the rich simulation interface. Been an ongoing point of discussion, but nothing that I can really add much meaning to in a kind of day-to-day sense. So that correspondence with Mike dropped off. But other general things, like how does he like the command line, these kind of things, keep up. But in terms of actual energy, and I think it's also a question of how many people could you actually have working on Don't Blape at any given time, platform elements, you could have certain simplification elements, you could have various other areas. I mean, it has divided up previously in terms of areas that people could work on. But at the same point, part of that is also bringing people up to speed, which ultimately I think is a large portion of what I'm trying to do with the code simplification too. So all these things kind of go on in parallel. Uh, it was interesting chatting with Gerald this morning. He, well, I made the point to him that irrespective of whatever discussions are going on in a life, you know, the, the noble apes are now moving towards kind of collecting ancestral bones and telling stories and these kind of things. Yeah, he he made the point that noble ape was very much a kind of philosophical, I don't know, philosophical lens for want of a better term. That wasn't the term he used. That's my recreation of his terms. And, you know, I think it is that. I mean, it, certainly I find it extraordinarily fulfilling um, in ways that, you know, other aspects of my life are, cannot fill that void. And that was the point that he made as well with his own artificial life wanderings was that was exactly what it did too. So ultimately, I think that's the nature of artificial life as far as I can distill it on a personal level. And whatever, you know, the Adamis and other academics want to do is perhaps fulfilling their same needs, but I don't think they're necessarily the same needs in terms of a kind of conceptual sense. In parallel to this also, I'm, I don't know whether one would use the term writing, but I'm trying to pull together a series of ideas in a chapter for Bruce Damer. And in contrast to my lagging artificial life podcasts, my other podcast, uh, the main podcast, uh, Model Royal Radio, is just increasing <laughs> continuously. So my time has been somewhat artificially devoted to that, aside from coding and Noble Ape interactions, but certainly my recordings of Ape Realities have not been particularly good of late, and apologies uh, to folks who had hoped for more. I think, I guess, my time in terms of, uh, you know, whatever kind of cognitive mood I'm in is is better served currently by working on code than it is by recording audio. And what I'll try to do is insert video and these kind of things, which I've kind of done up until now, but just not with the kind of ferocity that I was hoping initially. The anticipation is that we'll get a house in the Bay Area, which will make these things slightly easier. The environment that we live in does directly affect podcast recording. But, um, yeah, all that's to be seen probably early in the new year. So stay tuned for that, and thank you very much for tuning into the Save Reality. Any questions, any thoughts, any ideas, just general feedback, tom at nobleape.com. It's always wonderful hearing from folks who listen to the podcast. But, um, yeah, I think we'll probably more whimsical, more discussion, these kind of things. My hope was to record some audio with Bob Bottram in the near future, perhaps based on some of the changes that he's going to make in the near future, or perhaps based on some of the legacy discussion. 
but I think um, Bob's feedback was pretty good in terms of what I was saying at the A-Life conference. But ultimately, yeah, a large portion of what I do is, is ambassadorial in nature, and if I can accurately describe what Bob's doing, so much the better. Anyway, thank you very much for tuning into this podcast. Look forward to you tuning into the next podcast.